When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Welcome in to the episode 303 of the podcast in Sweeping America, the Aerator Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, October 8, 2020, people. I hope everyone is having a great week. By the way, just going to go off the rails right off the top here. As I was doing that 303 intro, kind of just felt like a DJ at some club, like, AT, make some noise. Anyway. Anyway, let's get back on track here, people. Lot to get into today. Great show today. We are obviously, as I said, in the heart of October, in the heart of college football season, and a lot to discuss. So what I want to open the show with is uh, another player opted into the college football season on Wednesday. His name was Elijah Vera Tucker, potential first-round draft pick out of USC. He has decided that he will not skip the season, that he will come back Following in the footsteps of so many other players, Rondale Moore from Purdue, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, uh, Sean Wade from Ohio State, and I am going to talk about why, one, this is obviously great for college football, but in the broader picture, why it finally squashes the dumbest narrative in sports, which is that college athletes are exploited. I will then break down the weekend ahead. This really feels like the first big weekend of college football. Even when the SEC came back, it was great. This week, we got a bunch of big SEC games. We got the Red River rivalry with Texas, Oklahoma. We got uh, Clemson, Miami. So great weekend. I will break down the games give my gambling picks, and then we will throw to another great guest. So Ross Dellinger, you may have heard his name. You may not have known his name until the last couple weeks. He is a writer at SI, and he is really one of the guys that was at the forefront of breaking all of the news as it pertained to the Big Ten and the Pac-12 canceling the season, uncanceling the season. So really fun interview with him. We talk about that. We talk about his new book about LSU, spent a lot of time discussing Ed Orgeron, what it is like to be around Coach O on a day-to-day basis. Really fun interview. You're going to want to stick around for that, but I will lead the show uh, talking college football and previewing this weekend ahead. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Finally, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Also, the new Twitter page, Aaron Torres Pod, uh, Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. That's where I post all my picks. My picks also available at AaronTorresOnline.com. And finally, as I've mentioned many times, do have the YouTube channel up and running. Make sure to subscribe to that. Really does help me move along. Uh, But you guys know all that. And so with that said, people, Let's get right into it. I don't want to waste any more time. It's Thursday. You got stuff going on. It's almost the weekend. You want to get into the car uh, and get home, do some fun stuff, watch some games on Saturday and Sunday. So let's get into the topic of the day, which is about those player opt-ins, because really outside of the player opt-ins, it was kind of a quiet week 
uh, across college football. Now, the NFL is a little bit of a different deal. They're dealing with all the COVID cases. Cam Newton tested positive. They postponed the New England Patriots, uh, my uh, Kansas City Chiefs game. The Tennessee Titans are in a little bit of trouble right now. I do find it ironic, by the way, NFL is basically dealing with what college football dealt with a month ago, and frankly, what Major League Baseball dealt with back in July, which is they are dealing with the first significant cases of COVID. Everybody's freaking out. Obviously, don't want to undersell the seriousness in some cases of this virus, but when it comes to NFL players, they're going to be fine. But I do find it really interesting that the NFL now is going through what college football did, which is every time there's a, play, a player testing positive, oh, we got to cancel the season. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? Well, what happens if one team plays 15 games and the other team plays 16 games? It's like, dude, we, we're in the Major League Baseball playoffs right now. It happened. The Miami Marlins got it. They played fewer games than everybody else. Everybody was fine. College football, the SEC is playing fewer games than the Big 12. The Big 12 is playing fewer games than the Big 10. We are going to be fine. So I do find it kind of interesting that the NFL is going through what college football went through. Uh, but to transition it back to college football and to transition it back to what I wanted to talk about, um, I, th this player opt-in thing is just fascinating to me, okay? And so to backtrack, okay, for people who aren't totally sure what is a player opt-in, what is a player opt-out, let me explain. Obviously, y'all remember back in whatever it was, late July, early August, we start getting word that the Big Ten, oh my goodness, they're not going to play the season. Gone over it and over it. They were idiots. They probably shouldn't have done it in the first place. They did it for all the wrong reasons. Anyway, you kind of heard A.T. Spiel on all of that. Obviously, as that was going on, a lot of the best players in the Big Ten decided to opt out of the season. In other words, they just said, look, we're talented enough to go pro. We're not going to sit around and wait to figure out if you want to play this season. Um, and so many of the best players in the Big Ten, even before they made their announcement, just said, you know what, we're out. We're not sitting around. So that, that, that's a group that would inc include Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, would include Rondale Moore from Purdue. And a few other guys. Later on, when the season was officially canceled, a couple more guys opted out as well. Sean Wade, a star defensive back from Ohio State. Wyatt Davis, a star offensive tackle from Ohio State. All these guys decided to opt out of the season because at the time, there was no season, okay? And so I bring all this up because I find it very interesting that over the last couple weeks, as we have gotten clarity on this college football season, a funny things happen. All these guys are opting back in. I mentioned Rondale Moore a minute ago. Purdue star, he has opted back into the season. Rashad Bateman, star wide receiver at Minnesota, has opted back into the season. Sean Wade, Ohio State, opted back into the season. Wyatt Davis, the offensive tackle at Ohio State, opted back into the season. Jalen Mayfield from Michigan, opted back into the season. Now the Pac-12 guys are starting to make those decisions as well. Uh, earlier this week, Diamador Lenore, a star cornerback for Oregon, opted back into the season. And on Wednesday, the reason I'm talking about this, Elijah Vera Tucker, a potential first-round draft pick out of USC offensive tackle, decided to opt back into the season. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, A.T., I love you. I love that DJ voice that you did at the beginning of the show. It was kind of weird, but I was into it. It's Thursday, whatever, who cares? But you're probably thinking, like, like why, why are you talking about an offensive tackle from USC? I'm a Tennessee fan. I'm a Georgia fan. I'm a USC fan, and I don't even care about this offensive tackle at USC. And the reason I'm bringing this up is not to talk about individually this player, Elijah Vera Tucker, the impact that he is going to have on college football, or for that matter, Rondale Moore, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, whatever. The reason I am bringing it up is because I believe that all of these guys opting back into the season has officially squashed the single dumbest narrative in all of college sports, and maybe, frankly, all of sports in general. And that is very simply this. It is the narrative that college athletes, these poor, poor, poor souls, they're being exploited. Their life is so tough, it's awful, feel awful, feel terrible for these Michigan and Ohio State and Alabama football players. And if you've listened to this show, 
you kind of already know where I stand on all this stuff. But but to backtrack for people who do not know, uh, I grew up in Connecticut, grew up around college sports. Obviously, it was funny. I was doing an interview uh, with a listener of this podcast not long ago, and I was talking about my childhood. And I was talking about the fact that me growing up in Connecticut in the 1990s, surrounded by UConn men's basketball, by UConn women's basketball, uh, being in Connecticut when UConn football went from 1AA to 1A, in other words, FCS to FBS, that shaped who I am. And obviously, look, I am passionate about college sports. I love college sports. It's probably 80% of what we do on this show. For people who are new, we will talk a ton of college basketball as we get to November, December, January, February. But I bring all of this up because I have always said that I believe that in many ways college sports gets a bad rap, right? Like, I don't think it's a perfect system. I don't think it's a, it, it, it's, it's a, a utopian system. Nothing in the world is perfect. But I do believe that it gets a totally raw deal and a totally bad rap. And the reason I believe that is very simply this. It's because it's a system that, while imperfect, benefits the vast, vast, vast majority of the student athletes that are on any of these given campuses. And I think most of you know that. Maybe all of you know that for all I know. I don't think you would listen to this show if you didn't like college sports. But the bottom line is if you follow college sports closely, if you really understand what college sports is about, you understand that most of these guys and girls have it really good, right? Like we spend so much time talking about the Trevor Lawrences and the Johnny Manziels and the Reggie Bushes, the few guys that actually do move the needle in college sports that we forget to, we, we, we don't talk about the guys and girls that benefit from that system. And does it suck for Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, but guess what? It's no different in the NBA where there is a salary cap. LeBron James probably deserves to make more money than he does. Anthony Davis probably deserves to make more money than he does. Now, I know I'm comparing a paid athlete to an unpaid athlete, but the point that I'm trying to bring up is that, one, while college athletes do not get paid, they have it's a great system, right? And it's a system that I've talked about many times. You get your school taken care of. You get your food taken care of. You get your housing taken care of. You get your medical bills taken care of. So essentially what I would ask is this, is if your housing, your school, your bills are all, medical bills are all taken care of, how much money do you really need? And it's worth noting again that college athletes do get a, a, they get paid money every semester. It's called a cost of attendance scholarship. And it should be worth noting as well, I am not opposed to name, image, and likeness coming in. So in other words, if the car dealership wants to pay Trevor Lawrence uh, $30,000, $25,000, whatever, to do a car commercial, I have no problem with it. I've talked about it on this show on and on and on and on and on. But the point I'm trying to get to is we spend so much time focused on Trevor Lawrence, so much time focused on Justin Fields, so much time focused on Zion or Cade Cunningham or whoever the next basketball star is, that we forget to realize that all the benefits that they have that backup offensive tackle has, and that women's volleyball player has, and that women's tennis player does, and the men's baseball player has as well. And so I bring all this up because it drives me insane when you see the big talking head national media guys, and I know I'm by technicality a national media guy, and I don't know if I'm a big talking head or a a medium-sized talking head or whatever, and this conversation is getting weird, so I'm going to steer it the other way. But the point I'm trying to make is, you see these people talking, and they're just talking out of their you-know-what, saying, "Not oh, these kids are so exploited, the system is so terrible. Go to these college campuses for 10 minutes. These kids have it great. Trevor Lawrence has it great. Could he be making more money if he was a professional? Of course. Does Clemson football make a lot of money for the university? Of course. But if Trevor Lawrence was paid everything that he deserved, um, we probably couldn't have the women's tennis team, the women's golf team, whatever, and maybe you don't care Whatever. The point is, most college athletes have it way better than people realize. You see these people in the media, oh, these kids have it so bad, their life is so terrible. And so I want to take that conversation and circle it back to the player opt-ins of the last couple weeks. Because I think this is a huge narrative that is somewhat being brushed under the rug, relatively speaking. Because we see one guy, we see another guy, we don't really think about it. But what we're starting to see is Think about the guys that have opted back in. Now, it's worth noting, I want to make it abundantly clear, 
Not all the star players have opted back in. Micah Parsons from Penn State is still just basically training with an agent, staying low-key, all that stuff. He could have come back to Penn State. Miami's best defensive player, ironically, we'll talk about Miami in a minute, he he opted out, excuse me, he's not coming back. So it's not as though every single player that could have come back is, but when you look at the guys that are coming back, it's a pretty good indictment that the college sports system isn't that bad. Think about it. Rondale Moore, if he never played another down of college football, would be a first-round pick. That's indisputable. It's undebatable unless, God forbid, there was an injury while he was training or, God forbid, he does something dumb and gets himself in trouble with the law. Rondale Moore was going to be a first-round pick whether he came back to Purdue or not. Same for Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver at Minnesota. People are saying he's the second best wide receiver in this draft behind Jamar Chase at LSU. Uh, If he never played college football again, he's still going to be a millionaire in eight months. Same with Sean Wade, the defensive back from Ohio State. Same with Wyatt Davis, the offensive tackle uh, at Ohio State. And so what all of these opt-ins, first of all, just great for college football, right? When all these guys for Ohio State come back and are playing, that's going to be great for the sport of college football. Same with the guys at USC, same with the guys at Oregon, same with the guys at Michigan, same with the guys at Minnesota, on and on and on and on and on. But beyond that, doesn't it kind of prove the point that these kids aren't being exploited? I mean, think about it. Again, Rondale Moore never has to step on a college football field again. Rashad Bateman never has to step on a college football field again. Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, on and on and on. Instead, when everybody opted out and they tried to claim, oh, look at them, they don't need college football. Well, as it turns out, They opted out because the Big Ten was a mess, and the Big Ten didn't know what was going on, and the Pac-12 was a mess, and the Pac-12 didn't know what was going on. And I would add, on top of all these uh, Big Ten and Pac-12 players that are opting back in, how about Alabama? Alabama hasn't had a single player opt out that I know of. Clemson has not had a single player opt out that I know of. Georgia, outside of Jamie Newman, who we're not even sure if he was going to win the starting quarterback job, has not had a single player opt out. The reason, because those teams are really good, and they have a chance to compete for a national championship. And when you add them in with the Big Ten guys, I think to me, this is abundantly clear and maybe an underrated story in terms of conversations that need to be happening right now, and that's this. I think the conversation about these poor, exploited college athletes, I think it's basically dead. Yes, when they're juniors, they're going to go get their money. Yes, when college basketball players can leave after a year, the ones that can make money are going to go. But the guys that are on campus, life ain't bad. And Rashad Bateman's proved that. Rondale Moore's proved that. Sean Wade's proved that. Wyatt Davis has proved that. Elijah Vera Tucker has proved that. More importantly, they have proved something I've been saying for a while. Not only is the college life good, but being a college football player is fun, man. Like being in the locker room is fun. Being with your guys is fun. Playing ball is fun. And this is what drives me crazy about these media that cover this as a professional. Like, like I'm not saying there aren't a lot of insanely professional elements to college sports. But at the end of the day, it is not a business in the way that the NFL or NBA is. But is it a business? Of course. Not in the way the NBA or NFL is. And so it drives me crazy and it just it, it makes me laugh that no one's talking about this now. The fact that these kids do love playing ball. The fact they do love being with their teammates. They do love being in a locker room with their guys. And that they could have opted out and be making money right now with an agent and instead have decided to come back and play college football. I think it's good for the kids. I think it's good for the sport. And I think it's good for that dumb narrative that being a college basketball or football player or really any college athlete is so tough. All right, now that I got myself all fired up, all worked up, all angry, that's what I do. I make myself angry sometimes. I make everybody angry. Let's talk about the weekend. (laughs) Because rather than railing against the system and railing against the idiot media that don't know what they're talking about, I want to have some fun and I want to talk about these games. Because to me, this is really... This feels like the first really big weekend of the college football season so far. And that's no disrespect to Army Middle Tennessee State back in early September. That's no disrespect to the SEC slate that we've had these last few weekends. Alabama A&M was awesome last week, okay? LSU Mississippi State was awesome two weeks ago. But it does feel different because we got three or four really good SEC games. And then, of course, we also have those big games in the other conferences as well. 
Texas-Oklahoma in the Red River shootout. Yes, I still call it the shootout. It's not the rivalry. We can say shootout. We don't have to be overly politically correct on this show. We got Clemson-Miami, maybe the biggest game in that conference in years. We got Notre Dame-Florida State. Just a great weekend of college football overall. I didn't even mention the games in the SEC, whether we're talking about Tennessee, um, Tennessee-Georgia, whether we're talking about A&M-Florida. Just a great, great, great weekend for college football. Four matchups of top 25 teams. And let's talk a little bit about some of these games. So normally, look, I usually start with the SEC. I get it. It's the, you know, it just means more, right? Just means more in the SEC. Big deal, big games, big brands, big coaches. But I do actually want to start in the ACC because as I said a minute ago, I think you can make a case that Miami Clemson is maybe the most legitimately hyped ACC football game in years. Maybe since Jimbo Fisher had things rolling at Florida State before he left for Texas A&M. Because you look at Miami. They're a big-name brand, right? They didn't sneak into the top 25 like Virginia or Duke or Wake Forest or somebody that isn't that exciting. Miami's a, a brand and a name and a program that we know and love. And for the first time in a long time, they're actually pretty good. Now, are they the seventh-best team in college football? We're going to find out, but they do play Clemson. And I, I listen, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say the last two, three, four years, it's the most anticipated Clemson regular season game, at least in the ACC, um, that we've had. Now, can Miami win? I think that's a completely different conversation. So let's talk about the game itself because this Miami story, and I, I will say this in defense of Miami, win, lose, whatever. I think this story is awesome, right? And sometimes the story, like, like not every story is going to end with a happy ending, national championship, confetti, all that stuff, but college football in general, and I know it's such a corny cliche thing to say. I do think it's true though. College football in general is better when Miami's better, right? When they use there, when it's the swag, when it's the turnover chain. And I do think this is probably the best Miami team that we've had in many years. I do think it's because of the quarterback, De'Eric King, the transfer from Houston, who has been phenomenal early in the season. He almost reminds me, and I'm not like comparing apples to apples, but his presence almost reminds me of when Cam Newton went to Auburn. Not that Miami's going to win the national championship, not that De'Aaron King is going to be the number one pick in the draft, but it felt like Miami was a good program that could just not figure out the quarterback position. This kid, De'Aaron King, brings everything together. Of course, with that said, like I also think there's a fair counterpoint to that, which is who have they played? And I know I'm doing the SEC poll. They didn't play anybody. They haven't played anybody. But if you look at what Miami's schedule is, a little bit underwhelming. Uh, they beat UAB on opening night, bet that game, lost that. Well, I won one bet, lost the other because I bet the under in that game, which hit. But then I also bet UAB in the points. Miami did win, but they weren't dominant. It was 17-14 late in the third before they pulled away. So that was their first win. Their second win was against Louisville. And this is no disrespect to Louisville. People wanted to make it a huge deal, and it's funny because Nick Coffey has talked about this a lot on this show the last couple times that he's been on, but people wanted to make it a big deal because Louisville at the time was ranked. It was the, the, the college game day showdown. Of course, it was only college game day, and even Nick said it. It was only college game day because of the fact that there was no other games to send college game day to, but that big win against Louisville, never forget that in that game... Louisville actually outgained Miami, and oh, by the way, Miami won by two touchdowns, but Louisville also gave up two 75-plus yard touchdowns in that game. So basically, two broken plays led to the deciding two touchdowns in that game, and so when I sit there and I look at this game, it's no disrespect to Miami, but when you look at who they played, I didn't even mention Florida State, who might be the worst team in Power 5 football outside of Kansas. I mean, Florida State is really bad. Uh, it, when you get outside of, uh, you know, when you get outside of the Miami hype and the Miami excitement, you just look at who have they played, you realize the resume is kind of thin. And so I will be interested to see how they handle themselves, but I'll also be interested to see how Clemson handles themselves. Clemson's been a little bit flat early. The defense hasn't been great. I've heard some people say that they have a very kind of aggressive attacking defense, and they're one of the teams that's kind of been hurt by the lack of preseason prep and exhibitions and preseason and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and so because of it, I'll just be curious how they play. I would also add, I think it's a really interesting kind of motivating moment for Dabo Sweeney because I think this is the first time in years that he can go into a locker room and kind of say to his guys like, fellas, those guys out there think you can lose. Those guys in that other locker room think they can beat you. You're going to let them walk into your stadium and take what's yours? I'll be curious to see how Clemson plays. I think this is the best version we get of Clemson. It is one of my betting picks, so I'm going to save it for later, my actual uh, pick. But that is kind of my uh, interesting, and now, no, I don't know about interesting, but that was my analysis of that game. Let's move to the Red River rivalry, Texas-Oklahoma. Uh, this will not be one of my betting picks, and it's because these are like the two craziest teams of all time. And I've spent a lot of time talking about Oklahoma the last two weeks. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. Uh, and Texas is kind of the same deal. Texas, you just don't know what you're going to get from them week in, week out. Now, I think with the interesting question going into this game, who actually has more pressure on them? Because I heard Joel Klatt from Fox Sports. He actually, Joel Klatt actually came on this podcast years ago when I first started it. But Joel Klatt had something interesting that he said uh, as it pertained to this game that I thought was interesting. He said it on Wednesday on Colin Cowherd's show. And what he said was this. He said basically everybody thinks that Oklahoma has more pressure on them. And personally, coming into this one, I kind of thought Oklahoma had more pressure on them because you're Oklahoma and you can't lose three games in a row. But then Joel Klatt said something which really caught my attention. What he said was this. He actually thinks the pressure is on Texas because Oklahoma, everybody kind of knew it was a rebuilding year. Now, Oklahoma, it's playoff or bust, Big 12 championship or bust, but everybody kind of knew it was a rebuilding year. Like, no one's really going to get on Lincoln Riley if they go 6-4 and four this year or whatever. I guess they play 11 games, or no, I think they play 10 games, so 6-4 and four this year. Like, no one's going no to be like, oh, Lincoln Riley forgot how to coach. Like, everyone understands, true fre- or redshirt freshman and quarterback, young team, whatever. But what Joel Klatt said, which I thought was really interesting was that he said that the pressure is actually on Texas because Texas is actually built to win this year. Sam Ellinger, the quarterback, is a senior. Uh, the, the, the best recruiting class that Tom Herman has brought in, all of those guys are now juniors, third-year players. Some of them may go pro after this year if they're good enough. And Tom Herman shook up his staff because he knew the expectation was to win this year. So I will not be betting this game for one very simple reason, and that is that when I look at it, I look at it, and I think anything could happen in this game. Um, Oklahoma, you look at their record, they're 1-2, and two, but obviously the two games they've lost have come by a combined 10 points. They had leads late in both of them. Oklahoma could be 3-0 and coming into this game. Texas, on the other hand, is 2-1, and but could be 1-2, and of course, had that miracle against Texas Tech. I will not be betting it. Uh, I just think it, it, it's a crazy matchup. I have no idea what to expect. If you held a gun to my head, I would lean Texas because I just don't think Oklahoma is good, uh, but that will not be one of my official picks. Let's get to the SEC. Uh, two really, really interesting games, and we'll break down two of the other ones. Um, first one. Early morning kick, 11 Central, 12 Eastern, 9 Pacific where I am, Florida at Texas A&M. And Florida, this, like, like, look, this is the first big national stage for Florida quarterback Kyle Trask. And for people who haven't really been paying attention, you're kind of just getting into college football, Kyle Trask is kind of getting a little bit of that Joe Burrow, like early Heisman hype, like he was a backup and he was kind of this, and, he was kind of, and all of a sudden he's blowing up, has 10 touchdowns through the first two games of the season. What's interesting to me, though, with Florida is very simply this. They have a great wide receiver named Kyle Fitz, but outside of him, I don't think their skill position guys are that good. I think their offense might be a little bit overrated. Look, they, they moved the ball up and down the field against Ole Miss two weeks ago, but everybody is going to score and score a lot against Ole Miss. I'm not sold on Florida yet, and I would also say this about Texas A&M. I know that Jimbo Fisher has a bad rap, including on this show when I went after him last episode, okay? But what I would say is that essentially, if you take out the Alabama games, Jimbo Fisher really hasn't been that bad at Texas A&M. Now, again, we talked about on last episode, when you make $75 million guaranteed over the course of your contract, there's an expectation that you don't get boat, uh, blah, 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 blah. You don't get boat raced by Alabama. 
But when I look at Jimbo Fisher, again, nine and four two years ago, eight and five last year, two, uh, one and one this year. But look, played Clemson twice out of conference and handled the team handled themselves well. They didn't win either game, but they were competitive in both. Played Georgia last year. It was a one-possession game. Played Auburn twice since he got there. So it's not as though he's had an easy road. And for the most part, outside of Alabama, he's been pretty successful. One and one against LSU. Uh, the loss, by the way, was Joe Burrow's senior night. So you wonder, is he not living up to expectations? Or has the schedule just been brutal? Because, I mean, you look at Florida as opposed to Texas A&M, right? Florida, Dan Mullen, 30-year head coach. Jimbo Fisher, 30-year head coach. But you look at it. Texas A&M, two years in a row, had to play Clemson out of conference. Miami gets a bad Florida State out of conference, got a bad Miami out of conference last year and a bunch of nobodies, okay? Florida also in the SEC East, so they get to play Vandy. They get to play uh, South Carolina every year. Texas A&M in the SEC West. And then on top of that, in the SEC West last year, Texas A&M had to play Georgia uh, as their crossover game. So I'm just not sold that Texas A&M is quite as bad as we think they are. I will make a pick for that game later. The under is actually my play. In terms of the final score, I don't feel comfortable betting either way. Um, I just I, I just feel like Jimbo Fisher might not be as bad as we think. Florida, Kyle Trask, Dan Mullen might not yet be as good. So that's kind of interesting thought on that one. Let's go to the late afternoon. Tennessee at Georgia. Tennessee fans on my butt this week, and rightfully so, because uh, I picked Missouri to cover last week, and Tennessee dominated. And I talked about Tennessee on the last podcast, and I said point blank, bottom line, that was maybe the most impressive performance I've seen from Tennessee in a decade. Not because they won, not because Missouri's amazing, but they just physically dominated Missouri. Uh, but the more that I look at that game, as impressive as it was, and I'm not taking away from Tennessee, I'm also not taking away from their eight-game win streak, right? Like, that's a new narrative that's popped up. It's, well, Tennessee's won eight in a row, but who have they beaten? Beaten Missouri twice, they beat South Carolina twice, they beat Indiana, they beat this team. Like, eight wins in a row is eight wins in a row. It's impressive. What concerns me about Tennessee going into this game is a couple of things. One, you're not going to be able to out-physical Georgia, Okay. Uh, you're just like you're not going to be able to out physical Georgia. Georgia might be the most physical team in college football. With due respect to Alabama, with due respect to Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia might be the most physical team in college football. So one, you're not going to be able to out physical them. Two, their quarterback, Jarek Garantano. I still just don't know what I'm going to get from him. And I was thinking about this game one against South Carolina. He really struggled. He he statistically was fine. He didn't do anything wrong. But when you put pressure on him. He was kind of erratic, and throughout his career, when you get pressure on him, he's kind of erratic. Now, he looked great against Missouri last week because Missouri couldn't get a hand on him. And so because of it, that's my big question, is if Georgia gets pressure on Jarrett Garantano, is he going to make bad passes? Is he going to fumble? Is he going to do the things that he has done historically? That is the thing that intrigues me about this game. But look, Georgia's really, really good, man. I think it's going to be a fun one. I'm going to be entertained. I have a pick later, but that's a big one in the SEC. Uh, last couple SEC games... Mississippi State, Kentucky, I'm not going to be betting that one either. Uh, I just think it's fascinating. Kentucky is a slight favorite in this one. Um, and, and I wrote an article actually this week for Kentucky Sports Radio. Kentucky 0-2, lost to Miss, uh, Ole Miss this past weekend. But if you look at the advanced statistics, not even the advanced statistics, but there is a very compelling case they should be 2-0. and And there's a very compelling case that if they just clean up the small stuff, that they will actually be okay going forward. And when I say the small stuff, what I mean is this, is that they are second to last in penalty, second most penalties in the SEC right now. They lead the SEC in turnovers, worst turnover margin. And with Kentucky, I just look at it and I just say, man, if they just took care of the football, if they didn't commit penalties, they'd definitely be 1-1 one and, one and could potentially be 2-0. Oh, by the way, if A.J. Rose puts his head down and runs to the end zone, they'd at the very least be 1-1. One and one. So that one I'm not betting, but I'm just intrigued by that one. Speaking of intrigue, speaking of the SEC, Auburn, Arkansas, how about them hogs? Talked about it last week. Uh, obviously beat Mississippi State to improve to 1-1. One one. First SEC win since 2017. Love it. 
But I bring it up because this is a fascinating game from this perspective. First of all, I just don't think Auburn's good, right? And I've talked about it, and I've said it, and I will die on this hill. I don't root against college football players, college basketball players. I don't go after them. But I just don't think Bo Nix is very good. And I don't think Auburn's offense is very good. And when you look at the numbers, it backs me up. 12th in total offense. 13th in total offense. The only one that's worse is Vandy. By the way, Arkansas, 12th in total offense, but their defense is legit. Shout out to Barry Odom, their their defensive coordinator who has been phenomenal, had everything figured out for that Mississippi State game. I actually thought Arkansas played really well um, in the uh, first game against Georgia. Georgia pulled away late, but I think that's a reflection of how good Georgia is. Nothing that Arkansas did wrong. So that's an interesting one. I do have a pick for that uh, in a moment. And then finally, last SEC game that really intrigues me. How about Alabama Ole Miss? So I am convinced. I would say that my favorite bet this week, and the number is actually moving against me, which is which is insane, is I like Ole Miss plus twenty three and a half against Alabama. And there's so many reasons why. First of all, never forget Lane Kiffin was not only an assistant at Alabama, so he wants to get back in Nick Saban. He was an assistant that Nick Saban fired a week before the national championship game, okay? People forget this. Lane Kiffin accepts the Florida Atlantic job. Alabama plays Washington in the playoff, okay? Beats Washington. The next week, Nick Saban fires Lane Kiffin a week before the national championship game against Clemson. That was the year I believe they lost to Deshaun Watson and Clemson. Um, how bad of an employee do you have to be to be fired before a national championship game? So I believe Lane Kiffin wants revenge, and I do believe this will be high scoring, and I do believe that Lane Kiffin knows that the only way that his team can potentially win this game is to keep scoring. So I think it's high scoring. I think he keeps scoring. I do think it's going to be close to the 24-point spread. So with that, before I get out of here, I do want to make my gambling picks really quick. Uh, Please gamble responsibly. If you are going to gamble responsibly, uh, go ahead and use my bookie, uh, mybookie.ag. Promo code Torres. First sign up, you automatically receive, you automatically double your sign up. So you want to put twenty five bucks on Texas, uh, you get fifty back to play with. Mybookie.ag. Promo code Torres at checkout. And by the way, if you want to read about my picks, go to AaronTorresOnline.com. All right, so here are my picks for the weekend. Uh, and again, be responsible. First one: Virginia Tech at North Carolina. Virginia Tech, North Carolina, by the way, is one of the four ranked matchups that I mentioned a minute ago. Uh, I'll just say this. Virginia Tech is quietly one of the best stories in college football, okay? They are a team that is 2-0, but they have dealt with maybe more COVID um, players not being available than anybody. They were down 20-plus players at Duke last week and still found a way to win. They're playing North Carolina at North Carolina. Look, I like North Carolina. The Mac Brown revival story is cool. I just don't trust North Carolina. I don't trust Mac Brown. They haven't looked good. They could have lost to Boston College last week. Uh, week one against Syracuse, it was a close game into the fourth quarter before they pulled away. I like Virginia Tech plus the five. Second game, Florida at Texas A&M. I kind of already talked about it, so I'm not going to go any deeper. I like the under of 57. I think Jimbo Fisher knows he's got to keep it low scoring, keep Kyle Trask off the field. Third game, really quick, LSU at Missouri. Before we get into it, obviously this game has moved from Louisiana to Missouri, Hurricane Delta bearing down on the southeast. My understanding is they believe that the hurricane is kind of lightening up. It's not going to be as bad as as they had originally projected. But if you're in the Louisiana area, we do have some listeners in Louisiana. Please be safe. Uh, you know, just be safe. We're, we're all thinking about you. We want everybody in the southeast corner of the country to be safe. But uh, in terms of a football game, and they are going to play this football game, they've moved it to Missouri. I actually like Missouri plus the 14 and a half. And maybe I'm just mad that Missouri didn't cover last week. But I think one, from LSU's perspective, I just don't know how fired up they are coming to Missouri after they were supposed to play a night game in Baton Rouge. Now they've got to come across the country, 11 a.m. kickoff local time. I just don't know how fired up they are. I think from the Missouri perspective, they've already played Bama. They played at Tennessee. They will not be intimidated by LSU. And I just don't think LSU is that good this year. So I like Missouri plus the 14 and a half. I do think LSU wins. Third game, Tennessee, Georgia. I mentioned it. I like Georgia. And it's not a knock on Tennessee, and Torres doesn't hate Tennessee, and he's not an anti-go-big-orange. 
I just think that what made Tennessee successful last week was their physicality, and you're not going to be able to out-physical Georgia. And also early in that Tennessee game, never forget, a couple drives were extended because Tennessee went for it on fourth down. That's something they obviously will not be able to do on Saturday against Georgia. It's a lot different going for it on fourth and one uh, at, at, your, you know, at the 40-yard line against Missouri at home as opposed to trying to do the same at Georgia. I think Jeremy Pruitt is more conservative. I do like Georgia to cover the 12-and-a-half. Uh, Arkansas, Auburn, I already talked about. I just like the under. I just don't buy Bo Nix. And I think the Arkansas defense is really legit. You know, I think it's like the third-ranked defense in yards per play allowed in the SEC. Arkansas is flying all over the ball, obviously playing against their former head coach, Chad Morris, the offensive coordinator at Auburn. So because of it, I do like uh, the under in that game. Ole Miss plus 23. I got it at plus 23. It's up to plus 24 for the reasons that I mentioned. Um, I just think they're going to have to keep scoring to stay close. So I like them to cover that spread. And then finally, I do like Clemson minus 14 over Miami. I just don't buy that Miami is that good, uh, that improved. And I think this is the first time in a long time that Dabo Sweeney for a regular season game can look his guys in the eye and say, hey, those people out there think that you you can lose this game. I think they're fired up. So again, really quick, on the picks, I do have Virginia Tech plus five at North Carolina, Florida A&M under 57, LSU at Missouri, Missouri plus 14 and a half, Georgia minus 12 and a half, Auburn under 48 against Arkansas, Ole Miss plus 23, and Clemson minus four. All right, that's it for this segment of the Aaron Sports Podcast. Well, thank you guys for listening. Fun show today as all. I mean, they're, they're all fun, right? Um, but great show, fun show. Really appreciate all that you guys have done to support this show. Again, the show is growing at an exponential rate. Uh, huge numbers for the month of September. Really huge numbers really dating back... Um, I don't even know. I mean, really, quarantine, uh, we're killing it in February, March. Quarantine happens. May, June, we set downloads records. August, we surpass them. September was really good. October on pace to do the same. So, all right, that's it. Thank you for listening. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're not, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are, in fact, subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good, juicy stuff. Uh, make sure you're following on social at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, Aaron Torres Pod as well, Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Aaron Torres Writer. Uh, and that's really it. Thank you guys for everything that you've done. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And now, as I mentioned, Ross Dellinger. SI Sports Illustrated. He also wrote a book on LSU football that I think you guys will enjoy. Here is from Sports Illustrated, Ross Dellinger. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, very special guest. Excited to talk about this guy, talk to this guy. He covers college football for Sports Illustrated. Also, the author of the new book out, 100 Things LSU Fans Should Know Before They Die. Ross Dellinger's on the phone. How you doing, my man? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing well, Ross. And so it's funny, you know, obviously, look, you know, you've been at the forefront of so much that's gone on in college football here over the last couple months with all of the craziness with COVID-19 and all that stuff. But I do want to start with the book. And, you know, obviously, look, I was just thinking this is that, um, you know, for people who don't know, I, I know you have a pretty extensive background covering LSU. Uh, was this just a sheer coincidence that you decided to write this book along with the folks at Triumph Books, or uh, did last season play a role in maybe uh, pushing this project along? No, last season uh, I, I had started working on it well before last oh, okay. season. I think Triumph, yeah, Triumph Books reached out to me back in probably, uh, yeah, I don't even, it might be as as uh, late as uh, 2017, 2017 or 2018 is when they reached out to me about it. And um, uh, so, I've, yeah, so it's been kind of in the works for a couple of years and it just so happened obviously that uh, it's being released on a, on a year in which LSU had uh, arguably the, the best uh, team in college football history. So that kind of worked out well. So what you're saying is your editors and publishers are the smartest people on the planet and can <laughs> see into the future. That's what you're telling me. That's right. Boom. 
<laughs> Perfect. So let me ask you, um, I do want to talk a little bit about that team. And obviously the book kind of covers uh, really all aspects of LSU football uh, dating, you know, back to the beginning of basically the program and covers the state of Louisiana, LSU basketball, on and on and on. I was thinking about that team in general, um, you know, and, and what I would ask you is, as somebody who covers the national college football scene, as somebody who's on the road quite a bit, you know, take people back to LSU, say, uh, August of last year. I don't want to say this time last year, because obviously by then LSU had already been in Texas and we thought they might be pretty good. But it's amazing to think about the narrative flip of that program, because for years, it was like they don't have the quarterback. They got everybody else. They got all these dudes. They got all these wide receivers. They got all these running backs. Um, and I think it's easy now to just look and say, oh, you know, it was inevitable one of these years that LSU was going to break through. But, you know, August and early September of last year, I don't think people had quite that same perspective. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody really uh, expected, you know, 15-0 and in a, in a Heisman Trophy win. It does seem like for years now, uh, probably going back to uh, or Les Miles' early early days or so, 10, 10 years ago, it seems like uh, every season the LSU enters the, enters the season with a lot of talent and a lot of expectation, but that one missing uh, piece of a quarterback. And uh, it seems like every year that was the case. And I can remember as I was a beat writer in Baton Rouge for five years, every year that I was a beat writer, that seemed to be, the case uh 2014 15 16 17 and part of 18 I mean it it was uh it was like man you know if you if you got a good QB uh you feel like um that the team could could go undefeated or could compete uh, at least compete uh, better for a championship and finally LSU got that piece and not only did they they get that piece but uh in Joe Burrow but they they got another piece in in Joe Brady uh the uh, pass game coordinator who's now with the Panthers and he was able to put together, uh, help Steve Ensminger, the offensive coordinator, put together an incredible game plan. And uh, it, it, it's just, uh, I was reminiscing um, on recent travels down in Louisiana with some people about about how kind of perfect uh, last year had to be. And a lot of championship seasons are like that. You just, you, you know, everything just has to kind of align, it feels like. And uh, certainly the two Joes, uh, Burrow and Brady, were, were huge in that. At what point did you get the feel last year that, okay, this season can be different? Because, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, I was skeptical. Even for people who don't remember, they beat Texas early in the year. But, you know, Texas defensively, they've been kind of hot and cold over the last couple of years. And they, they keep winning these games. And I, I can say personally that I wasn't really sold – Frankly, until they beat Alabama, you know, go head to head with Tua. I know he was banged up, but but still to beat Alabama, I think that's when the narrative changed for me. When did you get the sense or people that you talked to? I mean, first of all, when you were talking to people at LSU, did they get the sense right away with Joe Burrow, with Joe Brady, the pass game coordinator, basically the offensive coordinator, that things could be different early? Or when did it actually flip of okay, you know, we're going to go from that perennial nine to ten win team to a team that we really think we're good enough to win a national championship? Well, for me, uh, it, you know, LSU had lost, I think it was eight, seven or eight games straight to Alabama. And so until you beat Alabama, for me, it, it, it you know, I, I didn't have expectations of any kind of championship. So after they beat Alabama, uh, especially over in Alabama and the way they did it, uh, although the game score was close, um, just the way they went up and down the field on Alabama's defense, I think at that point, for me, I, I realized, well, this this actually could be a a championship type uh, season for LSU. I mean, that that that's, but it it took that, you know, it took that yeah. from uh, from happening, you know. Um, so as you can hear the sirens in the background, I'm uh, outside <laughs> in the middle of a in the middle of Washington, D.C., but uh, it seems like a, a, it's a fairly common occurrence here. But, um, but no, I, I, I think it, it, it did take their win over Alabama. At that point, I, I, I realized not only could they compete for a championship, but I, I figured that they were probably the favorite, you know, to win the championship and, and beat Clemson. And, uh, and even before that, of course, Georgia in the SEC championship game. 
Was there any sense from either talking to people around the program or, you know, assistant coaches in the SEC that maybe faced them early in the year that this really is different? Because, you know, I think so many of us, and I certainly include myself in it, um, it, you know, felt like uh, that it was, it wasn't until the Alabama game that I completely flipped the script and said, okay, this team is now probably the national championship favorite. Um, But, you know, Ed Orgeron seemed all last season to have kind of a quiet confidence to him. Joe Burrow, frankly, had a quiet confidence to him that we just hadn't seen uh, in the previous season because I think it's easy to forget now, but a lot of people don't remember. He did start at LSU the year before. I always throw this stat out, but 15 touchdowns. I think it was 57% completion percentage. Did anyone – was there anyone you talked to early that felt like, man, you know – you, you you guys are missing the story or you guys need to pay more attention to LSU because they're probably a little bit better than you guys in the media. And I'm, I'm not saying you specifically, I'm more saying guys like myself, but that you, was there anyone that, that felt like, okay, you guys are undervaluing these guys. They're better than you realize. Well, there were certainly uh, some coaches, I think around college uh, football in, in the NFL for that matter, that um, had through, you know, after the Texas game, which I think was the, second week of the season when they when they beat Texas over in Austin that, you know, LSU got some real attention then. And I think from a lot of coaches around the nation, uh, they got some attention. And, and there were some – I remember getting some text, you know, even from one specific uh, offensive coach um, who who's actually on the, on the pro level uh, uh, who said uh, probably – this was probably in late September, you know, just two or three games in – um, but it was after that Texas game that they, he predicted that they, they were going to beat Alabama and, and at least play for the national title that year. So I, I think you, they, they made it – that Texas win was big, and, and uh, I think those subsequent early season wins like at Mississippi State and uh, was another one, I believe, that they – it was pretty obvious that they were uh, – to a lot of people, maybe not, maybe not a lot of uh, media. Very good. Yeah, Again, uh, but to a lot of coaches okay. around that, uh, that that team is really talented and really good. Very good. The book, again, is 100 Things LSU Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Uh, Ross, last question on LSU. I was, I was thinking about this. So we're recording here right before the Vanderbilt game, right after the Mississippi State loss. This interview won't run until after the Vandy game. And so there's a chance that – uh, this conver- this question could go the other way in a hurry, either direction. They could look really good against Vanderbilt, and maybe uh, Mississippi State is better than we realize. They could be look way worse, and uh, you know maybe we think they're in for a really long season. But you know one of the things coming out of last season was kind of Ed Orgeron, and it's something that I've kind of really uh, talked to a lot of people about, just because I. I struggle with what I think about it but do you think you know Ed Orgeron is a guy that is going to have this program obviously probably not this season but in general in that upper 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 echelon that can compete for college football playoff first maybe like a Georgia that doesn't get in every year but they're in the short conversation because on the one hand you know obviously last year was this incredible season but on the other hand, it was also in many ways, as you said, a dream season where the stars aligned, uh, perfect offensive play caller, perfect uh, uh, quarterback, doubling down with a veteran roster. I know they lost a lot this year. It's hard to make too many sweeping judgments one way or the other about this season particularly. But do you believe Coach O has what it takes to kind of keep this program in that upper, upper echelon, as I said, competing for championships, uh, you know, not every year, but, but, but certainly in the short conversation most years? Well, I, you know, I, certainly from a recruiting standpoint, uh, he's he's doing really well. I mean, they they are they are rolling when it comes to recruiting, and so they are going to be talented. I, I think again, it, it's going to be those little things that separate the you know a nine ten win uh, club from you know a thirteen twelve thirteen fourteen win club, and it, it's what they had last year, right? It, uh, it's, um, uh, it's the quarterback in, in the next, you know, getting an all-star basically quarterback in combining that with, you know, a, a confident, uh, bold, uh, really uh, smart play caller in, uh, in does play designer in, in Joe Brady. And, and again, and I don't want to speak uh, too much on Brady just cause I, I know that Steve Yinsman, our offensive coordinator, he called a lot of the plays as well. But Brady was a big part in bringing over some of the offense that LSU plans on still using this year. And so 
it's it's just you know they're always going to have the talent. They're always going to have the talent to go nine ten, uh, to win nine ten eleven games of the year. It's can they can they find those pieces in uh, specifically the quarterback position uh, to to take it to the next level? In some years they might, like last year. In in other years, like probably this year or or uh, we saw it the, his first year. You know, Ed's first year going nine and four. You know, they always have the talent to get there, but do they have the talent to the next level? That's always with a quarterback, you know? And so what is it like uh, being around Ed Orgeron all the time? Because obviously uh, we out, outside, and, you know, I spent a little time around him when he was at USC, but uh, not to the degree that you did. Uh, you know, listen, I think obviously some of it uh, maybe is overstated. I don't think he gets enough credit. He talked about it on that 60 Minutes piece, actually, that, you know, I think people kind of see him as this jovial, happy guy, and he probably doesn't get credit for how smart he is, um, you know, how uh, – uh, innovative he is in some of his hires. What is it like to be around that guy each and every day? Uh, well, I'm not. I'm not quite around him as much as I used to. I know, to be. not, not I now. Was, just <laughs> yeah, you were for yeah, a couple for years though, right? I was. Yeah, for a while I was for sure. Um, it's it, it's uh, it, it's certainly interesting. Um, you know, he is uh, he's he's different from uh, your a lot of football coaches. In in your right, he. He does. Uh, he has developed over the years a kind of a reputation as, uh, you know, just being the recruiting uh, motivator type rah rah ra guy. But uh, you know, he he deserves a lot of credit for uh, first of all the the getting a player like we we'll go back to last year like Burrow, you know, recruiting him and he was a big part of that in in in. And then I think the biggest thing that Ed Orgeron did since he got to LSU was, again, a bold uh, move to bring in a guy, a 29-year-old guy like Brady, to overhaul an offense uh, that uh, that for so long was was you know relied on running the ball and ground and pound, and to come in and, and give the reins basically to a 29-year-old. So he's he's made some really key and big decisions, but. He does, and he will always probably have that that uh, you know kind of perception of him as that big rah rah recruiting motivator guy because that's what he's best at. It, it is. I mean that that's what he's best at, and um, you know he, he's <laughs> after we we saw from the first game probably against Mississippi State. You know he's gonna have to do some uh, some better motivating and some a lot more motivating uh, this year when you lose what is it? I think it's eighteen uh, seventeen or eighteen starters from the the uh, team that uh, played in the championship game and, and won the championship. Uh, and then, you know, three or four coaches as well, you lost. It's, it's, it's tough. And uh, it's, it, it might be a long season for them this year. There's no doubt. Last couple questions, we'll get you out of here. I do want to kind of look at the bigger national scene. And, you know, I kind of set it off the top is that you obviously were one of the guys that really came to the forefront um, during the, craziness of late July, early August, late August is the Big Ten didn't have a season, did have a season, wasn't sure if they were going to have a season, et cetera. Uh, you know, I'm not going to ask you too many details because obviously there's personal relationships you want to protect. I totally get that. Uh, but just how crazy was your uh, August into September? Because I feel like you didn't really sleep that much, my man. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I think from um... – Probably, I would say, from late May or early June through most of August. Uh, those three months, pretty much the entire summer, was unlike, uh, you know, any off-season summer I've ever experienced. It was just every day there was a new new news and a new turn and uh, a new story angle on this, on this pandemic and how it would impact uh, football. And you had you know, the players opting in and are opting out and then opting back in, conferences opting out and back in, teams doing the same thing individually. I mean, it, it, was, uh, it was really crazy. Um, and I'm glad it's over. And, and now, we, you know, we, we have uh, football games uh, uh, to cover and, and travel to. That's been – it's been really nice. It's, it's, it's funny because the offseason is usually your uh, respite where, you, you know, you get some rest and relax a little bit and you're not writing as much. And, um, and now the, the, the respite feels like the actual season. Uh, you're getting a break from the off season, which was just so wild. So it's been an interesting year.
Yeah, it was funny. I was just talking to somebody this morning about how these la the last week or so is the first time, maybe last two weeks, that it feels like you're sort of in a normal routine. Football's back, college on Saturday, NFL Sunday. When did you get the sense, um, just talking to people across the sport, um, because, uh, you know, for, for people who weren't following it day to day, it felt like uh, the Big Ten news sort of came out of nowhere. Not that we didn't know that there was going to be uh, it was there was going to be hurdles to get the season on the field, but it felt like okay, you know, we go to conference only games. The Big Ten releases their schedule, and then six seven days later they cancel the season. Was that? I mean, I, I again, I don't know what you can and can't share, but I mean, when, when or was there a moment? Um, earlier that you felt like, okay, this thing might not be as concrete as we thought, or how did that whole process play out? Because I just look back and I'm just still fascinated that the Big Ten, five, six, seven days before they cancel the season or release the schedule and fast forward a couple of days later and they're trying to cancel and obviously we know what happened from there. Yeah, it was, that was a, a crazy stretch of about, I think it was like eight days. Day one was that Tuesday uh, when the Big Ten released their schedule, which they were supposed to do it that Monday, but they had pushed it to Tuesday because uh, of some issues at Rutgers and their their COVID issues. So they pushed it a day, I think, to that Tuesday. And then it was that Saturday, if you remember, the MAC uh, canceled uh, or yeah canceled their fall season. And then that Sunday is when all the news started coming out specifically. Uh, I think, uh, you know, us at SI and ESPN were the, first two to report about uh, the Big Ten uh, end, or excuse me, yeah, the Big Ten and Kevin Warren on a call with other conference commissioners basically making it known that they plan uh, to postpone their fall season. Um, and then uh, I think it was two days later on that, that next Tuesday that, uh, that they did do that and they made that announcement. That was a, yeah, it was a crazy span of days and obviously it involved um, uh, you know, a, a lot of discussion with Big Ten medical people and, and such. Uh, obviously, the heart issues were a big point of um, a big issue, the myocarditis and how uh, COVID, uh, you know, impacts the heart. But it, it also involved uh, testing and the availability of testing, which at the time wasn't, what, uh, wasn't good enough, I guess you could say. Um, and, and so, obviously, they studied myocarditis and the height issues heart issues more and and they uh, obviously now we have a lot more availability and testing and cheaper testing so it, it, you know things are a lot different and, and everybody kind of jump, jump back in when the Big Ten jump back in it it's uh, like everybody else has, has come aboard um, again but but you know we're not out of the woods yet it, I was talking to somebody from the SEC uh, over the weekend who uh, you know just um, did not feel comfortable in saying that he's he thinks that we'll complete a season, you know, and that that's that's the way people are feeling right now still, just because of the COVID outbreak and such. Um, they're they're still on edge about uh, uh, completing a season, but at least we've gotten started, and so far I think we're up to uh, 24, 23 games postponed. Um, I expect that number will. Keep on rising, unfortunately, uh, and that that that. So we're we're still uh, not quite out of the woods, but it, it does feel good to get some kind of normalcy of playing football games. Absolutely. Uh, last question, I'll let you go. Um, you know, I try to keep things positive vibes only. So I, I do think, you know, I hope that we will continue this season, get through this season, et cetera. All I would ask is from an on the field perspective, what are you excited about? Because we got a, a preview of the SEC uh, last week. As I said, we're recording here right before Saturday. So uh, Alabama and A&M will play, Auburn and Georgia will play by the time people listen to this. But the SEC is in full swing. The Big Ten's coming a few weeks from now. Um, and it seems like we're rolling in Pac-12. I still don't really know what's going on with the Pac-12, but um, wh what are you excited about? I mean, obviously we all get into this stuff because we love the sports that we cover. Uh, what are you most excited about to actually watch on the field? Well, I think one of the most exciting parts of this year is, is what we saw, what we've seen over the last, the first few weekends and what we saw the, the opening SEC weekend. Uh, road teams uh, were, I think, five and two in those SEC games. And we, we've seen the Sun Belt upset some big 12 teams at, uh, at those big 12 uh, sites. Uh, 
you're going to have, I think probably we're going to have a record of road football teams win games this year. And it's going to, that's in a way that's kind of exciting. It's, it's kind of cool. It, it, the, the pandemic and the outbreaks kind of created parity in college football. Um, and it, it really is. It's really kind of cool to see. So, um, and I think because of that, you're going to have some underdogs uh, pull out some really big wins like we've, we've already seen. And you might not have anybody who's undefeated. I mean, you, you really might not. And uh, in, in, who knows? I mean, the fourth seed in the playoff might have two losses just because of all these issues that we've, we've seen. So I think uh, – I don't know. I think, I think that's kind of a cool part to all this um, – is how the pandemic has kind of like created parity uh, and not just across the power five versus G five, but within conferences, uh, the top of conferences uh, against the middle tier of conferences. Uh, um, It's, it's kind of, that's kind of a cool trend to follow this year for sure. He is Ross Dellinger, author of 100 Things LSU Fans Should Know Before know and Do Before They Die, excuse me. And, of course, he writes for SI as well. Ross, man, this was fun. I appreciate the time. Have a, have a good afternoon, and I appreciate you doing this. All right, Aaron, no problem. Thanks. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.